Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of Grace Point Church in Atlantic, Iowa. My name is Don McLean. I'm the senior pastor here at Grace Point. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can check us out at gracepointatlantic.com. And in the meantime, grab your Bible and check out this week's sermon. For the season. When we say that Christmas is not about the presents, but try selling that to a seven-year-old. I mean, let's just be honest. Nothing can pollute the atmosphere of a Christmas morning like a really bad gift. I mean, you have that sense of anticipation. You've waited all year, and then it's just a big letdown. I come from a long line of bad gift givers, so this has kind of become second nature for me. Christmas of 97, my aunt gave me a watch. Great gift. But when I thanked her for it, all she said was, "Uh uh-oh. She explained to me that the watch was for Chris on the other side of the family. When I was 16 years old, my mom gave me a floor lamp. A floor lamp. Like what 16-year-old boy is walking into his nasty laundry-covered bedroom saying, you know, the, the lighting in here is just not quite right. But the mother of all bad gifts came to me when I was eight years old, Christmas 1986, right? My grandparents' farm. They were successful farmers and had a long track record of giving awesome gifts. So here we are, Christmas morning. Grandma brings out the best and final gift, the big one. My little eight-year-old heart is just pounding. I mean, this is my Christmas. I rip through the paper, open the top. I look inside, and I'm stunned. You should know, my, my, my grandparents were, were very resourceful. Grandma would can food from their garden. She repurposed milk cartons. You know, she'd save old jeans just for their fabric. So I peered into the box just a second time just to confirm that what I was seeing really was a handmade quilt. Apparently, Grandma had taken some of Grandpa's old jeans and combined that with some recycled kitchen curtains that were fruit-themed. And this quilt was just a marvel. It had bananas and apples and little grape clusters just for a pop of color. A quilt? A stinking quilt? Are you kidding me? What am I going to do with the quilt? I'm eight! But after I had some time to think about it, that's when I cried. That's when I really broke down, you know. I just remember the next day packing up the van and we were leaving. I just, I just felt so let down and I was just wallowing in my own self-pity the entire trip home. I mean, I was warm, but... But a funny thing happened as the months and years went by. I started to fall in love with that blanket. It became my bedspread, my traveling blanket, my house blanket, my watching football blanket. I used it so much that it became tattered and worn. The once bright red backing faded to a light pink. Light pink on one side, fruit and jeans on the other. But I didn't care. Like, I I used it every day. And somehow, the mother of all bad gifts turned into the best gift I ever got. But when I first peered into that box, I I couldn't see the years of joy that that blanket would give me. I completely undervalued what I'd been given. And today, when I look at that crazy jean and fruit blanket, It reminds me that there's another gift that, quite frankly, I've undervalued. The gift of Jesus. The most undervalued gift in the history of mankind. His hope, his joy, his peace, his love has come to us as a gift. But is it 
real to me? Am I really experiencing it? Are you really experiencing it? Are we just so caught up in the craziness and distraction of the season that that incredible gift has faded off into the background somewhere? I pray today finds me able to cherish both the unexpected gift of that first Christmas and the promise of Jesus being always with us now, that his hope, love, joy, and peace would be even more clear to me than ever. I pray the same for you. God is with us. Merry Christmas. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and give birth and, and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. <clears throat> Have you ever gotten a gift like that, like the one he talked about in the video? You knew it was a good gift. There's no doubt about that. You had no question about the quality, but you didn't appreciate it. <laughs> you didn't value it as much as you should have. When I asked myself that question, I thought of a wedding gift. It wasn't a Christmas gift, it was a wedding gift but, uh, that my wife and I received. And uh, When we got married, uh, an older couple in our church uh, gave us a cast iron skillet. A cast iron skillet. And, and it was a beautiful piece of cookware. It, it really was, no doubt about that. But uh, it, it, was, it was really heavy and uh, you know, it's just kind of big. It actually takes two hands to hold this thing, at least for me. And uh, I just remember thinking, it's kind of impractical. I mean, when am I ever going to cook something with, with that big old skillet? And, and so I remember kind of looking at this and going, oh, that, that's nice, and moving it to the side. And you know, hey, what else is, is in that pile of, of gifts? But can I tell you, of all the wedding gifts we received, that cast iron skillet turned out to be one of the very best ones we still have it, and we use it all the time. We cooked something with it just yesterday. It's actually one of my wife's favorite pieces of cookware. And so maybe I didn't value it as much as I should have uh, 30 years ago, but, but my appreciation for that cast iron skillet has definitely grown over the years. I like to think that we would feel the same way about Jesus. I like to think that with every Christmas that passes, uh, we value Jesus even more than we did the one before. And, and that's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about valuing Jesus. That, that's my, my, uh, what I'd like to wrestle with you, uh, wrestle with, uh, with you this morning. 
Uh, I want to focus on God's Christmas gift and why his gift, the gift of Jesus, is so valuable to us. Uh, to do that, I'm going to let Matthew be our guide this morning. If you didn't recognize where I was reading from a moment ago, that was Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. That's our text this morning. And uh, God's doing a lot in that passage. It's a familiar one. I'm sure you've heard Christmas passages, uh, Christmas sermons on this passage before. Uh, but what I'd like to focus on this morning are why this gift is so valuable to us. And so I want to talk about three reasons that the birth of Jesus is so valuable and because his birth is so valuable, as we meditate on that and think about it, it helps us value Jesus all the more. And so that's my goal this morning, is to help myself to help you value Jesus a little bit more than you did when you walked in the room this morning. So three reasons the birth of Jesus helps us value him more. Number one, the first reason his birth is so valuable is that his birth is powerful. This is a powerful thing we're celebrating this morning. It is the miracle of miracles. Uh, the all-powerful creator of everything willingly chose to make himself part of his own creation. The creator becomes part of the creation. This is a powerful miracle. We call it the incarnation. That's the technical name for it. And it is a powerful, powerful miracle. Uh, Matthew begins his, uh, he starts with some genealogy. If you have a Bible open, you can see he goes through kind of all the relations. Uh, and then he gets to the, the account proper, and he starts out by saying, uh, with a summary, he says, the birth of Jesus happened this way, right? Here's the facts, Matthew says. Here's what happened. There was a couple. There was a couple who were engaged to be married, uh, but they did not live together as husband and wife. They were only betrothed. They were not living together as husband and wife. Matthew is very careful to point this out to us. Uh, Mary and Joseph were, were chaste. Uh, they, they were not sleeping together. And yet, during that engagement period, Mary became pregnant. And so Mary became pregnant. She was found to be with child, the text says. She's going to have a baby even though they're not living together as husband and wife. So this creates some problems for this couple, all kinds of problems. Uh, for one thing, it's a, it's a lot of problems from outside, right? People are going to think what they think. People are going to judge them. They live in a very traditional culture. Uh, for them to uh, be sleeping together uh, before the wedding ceremony has happened, that is a, they are violating a huge social norm if that's what they've done. And that's the only conclusion people are going to draw when Mary turns up pregnant. And so there's the problem from, from the outside, but quite honestly, the bigger problem that they face is, is between the two of them. It's a problem for their relationship. Because forget what other people think, Joseph knows. Joseph knows this is not his baby. He knows that he has not slept with Mary, regardless of what other people think. And so this is why we're told, it's, it's a kind of a harsh beginning, really, to, to the story. Uh, he decides to divorce her. He's going to divorce Mary. He's going to do it quietly. Right? As an act of mercy to her, he doesn't want to expose her to any more public shame than is necessary, but, but he's going to end the relationship. He's going to break it off. And, and this is called a divorce because in their culture, that betrothal, that engagement is uh, a legally binding agreement, more so than engagements tend to be in our culture. Um, they, they're bound to each other legally, even though they're not fully married yet in terms of being husband and wife. And so Mary has, if Mary has is, is gotten pregnant and Joseph knows he didn't do it, she's, she's violated the contract. So he's, he's a just man. He is perfectly within his rights to, to, to break the relationship, to end the contract. So that's what he decides to do. He's going he's gonna to do it quietly so she's not you know, too harshly exposed, but he's going to end the engagement. However, uh, before Joseph has time to enact his plan, uh, he has a dream. 
he has a dream, and in this dream, an angel, a messenger from God, comes to Joseph and tells him, Joseph, it's, it's from God. The, Mary's, Mary's not making stuff up. It's just like she told you. It's verse 20. Uh, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Right? So he gets this, this message from this angel. And so what's the angel saying? It's a miracle. It's a powerful miracle, Joseph. He doesn't use the word, but that's what he describes. Uh, This baby is not from a man. And can you imagine Joseph in his dream kind of scratching his head? Well, how else do babies come about? Uh, But it's not from a man, he says. The baby is from the Holy Spirit. And and this is so integral to the story, it's repeated. It's a short account here in Matthew. uh, And yet it's it's stated twice. Once in the narrative in verse 18, the the mouth of the narrator, and then the angel will say it in verse 20. That which is conceived in Mary is from the Holy Spirit. It's from He. This baby is from God. It's a miracle. It's a powerful miracle. And then just to underline the the miraculous nature of what's going on here, don't move too quickly past the fact of the dream itself. Uh, Joseph has a dream in which God uh, speaks to him through an angelic messenger, right? So this angel comes to him. And again, the story is familiar to many, and, and so there's a tendency to kind of go, oh yeah, and then the angel was there, next thing. Uh, but, but angelic appearances are rare in Scripture, right? If all you read are the Christmas stories, you think there's an angel on every, you know, every third paragraph or something. But, but if you look at the whole of Scripture, angelic appearances are relatively rare, uh, angels only show up when God's doing something really big, right? Which is why you'll find angels at the resurrection and you'll find angels in the book of Revelation. When there's something big happening, angels show up. And so the, this angelic messenger that appears to Joseph, uh, it's, it's kind of like putting it in boldface. This is, this is something big. This is miraculous. This is a powerful miracle that God does here in the incarnation. But how does that help us value Jesus? Right? So what's the connection to valuing Jesus more than we did before? Well, a couple of ways. I think there's a couple of ways that just appreciating the, the miraculous nature of, of his birth helps us value him more. Uh, for one thing, it, it just pushes us back to worship. Right? We are right to worship uh, Jesus. Uh, Christmas is not special because there was a cute baby in the manger, right? This kind of you know, picture of, of sentimentality. It's not special because uh, the, the baby is cute. It's special because the baby is God. Right? The baby in the manger is God, and God deserves our worship. Right? Which is why so many of the carols talk this way. You know, Come and worship the newborn king. Why? Because the newborn king is God. And God deserves our worship. And so appreciating the, the miraculous nature of the, of the incarnation, of the birth of Jesus, uh, it helps us worship more fully, uh, e- even more fully who he is. There's another way this helps us value him more, and it's that it, it intersects with this, uh, the, the felt need of meaning. Uh, human beings long for meaning. We long to experience meaning in our lives. We want to be part of something bigger than ourselves. And different. You know, and I personally, I think that's universal. Everybody experiences it one way or another. We just answer it in different ways. But, but people long to be part of something bigger than themselves. Uh, here's a simple, you know, simple way you see this. You, you see it in our affection for sports, right? It, it's why we act like we did something when our team wins the big game. Yeah, you ever do that? You go, yeah, we won the Super Bowl. Yeah. No, you didn't. <laughs> you didn't do anything. You just sat on the couch and watched the game, you know, or the World Cup or whatever. Uh, but we feel like we're part of it, right? That's our team. We, we know the players' names. We buy their jerseys. We follow their contracts, you know, however much you get into it. You feel like you're part of it when they do something. 
Right? It's, we, it's, it's a part of being part of something bigger. Well, it doesn't get any bigger than this. You know, when I talk about meaning, it doesn't get any bigger than the birth of Jesus Christ. The Creator God enters into, becomes part of His own creation. Jesus, uh, fully God and fully man. Creator becomes a created being. And, and so that makes uh, the baby in the manger the most important human being. If you think about Jesus, He is the most important human being to ever live. And you and I get to be part of what he's doing. We get to be part of it. We get to be his followers, his disciples, his sons and daughters. Uh, there is no more, more meaningful way to live than that. You talk about man's quest or man, woman's quest for meaning. It doesn't get any bigger than this. His birth, than the, than the, the miraculous, powerful miracle of, of the incarnation. And so his birth is powerful. And understanding that and remembering that helps us appreciate him more. Number two, the second reason that the birth of Jesus is so valuable is that it's personal. You see it in the text. Matthew's going to emphasize it for us. The birth of Jesus is personal. Our God is not some distant, far-off God. He's not remote. No, He is God with us. He's personally involved in our lives. That's the point of verses 22 and 23, kind of the uh, really, in a way, the heart of this passage, I think. Verse 22, so, so Matthew reports the, the dream, and then he, he interprets the dream for us. Verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means, Matthew interprets, which means God with us. And so Matthew quotes Isaiah. He quotes the prophet Isaiah there. That's when he says the prophet foretold. He doesn't say Isaiah's name, but that's who he's talking about. It's Isaiah. And uh, I actually have quoted that proverb, that prophet, a couple of times over the last month or so. It's Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, one of the most well-known prophecies about Jesus. It's the one specifically about the virgin birth. Uh, the, the virgin shall conceive, the young maiden shall conceive, it might say in, in some Bible translations, and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And Matthew, Matthew, Matthew gets it. He's been taught by the time he's reading this, Jesus is interpreted for, them, for him. And he, he looks and he says, it was that. That prophecy, 700 plus years before, this right here, this baby inside of Mary, this is what the prophet was talking about. This baby is Emmanuel. This baby is God with us. That's what we've been talking about here at our church. It's been our theme all through uh, the Advent season. Uh, Jesus is God with us. He is Emmanuel. And there are all sorts of blessings that we've talked about here, and we've even been thinking about them, all kinds of blessings that come from this. Uh, for starters, it means we have a personal relationship, right? This is why Christians talk this way. We have a personal relationship with our God. Why? Because our God is with us, right? We're not following a, a philosophy. Christians don't follow a philosophy. We don't follow a set of rules. We follow a person. It's personal because he is with us. And so we have hope. These different things we've talked about this month. Uh, we have hope. Uh, we are not alone in the universe. We're not, in fact, we're not even alone in our living rooms because Jesus is with us. Our God is with us. And so we have hope. Uh, it means we're loved. We are loved. Our God loves us. And nothing that happens in our lives will change that. Nothing that happens to us from the outside and nothing that we do. Right? Paul writes in Romans 8, nothing can separate us from the love of God, not even ourselves. Not even our own sin can make him stop loving us. And so it's personal. 
Uh, his, his love is personal. Uh, it means we have joy. We talked about joy uh, as well in this series. You know, we have joy because Jesus is God with us. And, and one of the great places to see this is in the miracle of the wedding of Cana. It was, there's lots of passages where we see it, but we went to that John chapter 2 passage where Jesus takes a whole bunch of, of water and he miraculously changes it into a whole bunch of wine. And we talked about how that wine is a symbol of joy, but it was also an experience of joy as those people were able to continue the wedding and, and drink the best wine they'd ever seen and ever tasted because Jesus made it. And, and so what does that represent? It represents how we have access through Jesus to an all-surpassing joy. Nothing in this, that this world offers us can compare to what he offers us. And so we have, we have joy because of, and, and, and because of Jesus. And then we have peace, right? We have also have peace. God with us brings peace and comfort and hope and to our to our troubled souls right he has the power and he has the compassion to help us and again i can't stress it enough so i'll say it one more time all of it is personal he's god with us when god saw our need when he saw our lack when he saw our problem he didn't send us his assistant he didn't send us his messenger he sent us himself he sent us his own son and so that's a second reason to value Jesus more. We value him more and more and more because we understand that Jesus is personally involved. You look at that baby in the manger, whether you read the text or look at a picture or watch a movie, whatever you do, that baby in the manger is God with us. He's personally involved in our lives. Finally, the third reason that the birth of Jesus is, is so valuable has to do with the purpose, the purpose of his birth. And the purpose of his birth uh, is to save us. Jesus was born to save us. And this right here, this is the most important part. It's the most important part of what can be said about Christmas. Because I think of all these other things we've talked about in, in you know, this Advent together. You know, Jesus, yes, he was born to bring peace. He was born to bring hope. He was born to bring love and, and joy and all these wonderful things. Everything I've told you is true, every word of it. Uh, he's born to bring all of those things. But we do not have access to those things if we don't start here, if we don't have this. The only way Jesus will give us these things and can give us these things is if we receive him as our Savior. That's the key. Jesus was not born to cheer us up. Sometimes we, we talk that way about Christmas. You know, Jesus came to bring cheer. No, he was not born to cheer us up. He was born to save us from our sins. And that's the other part of what the angel says, right? This isn't my idea, it's the angel's idea, and God's speaking through him. Uh, the angel, again, I'll go back to the angel's words. Do not fear Joseph to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is, is it's a miracle, it's from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and Joseph, you're going to call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Uh, the name Jesus... The name Jesus is actually a Greek name, uh, the Greek form of the Hebrew name Yeshua. So Jesus, Joseph and Mary would have called him Yeshua. And uh, we don't usually think of this, but the Jesus we know was not the first person to have this name. Uh, in fact, far from it. Uh, our Jesus was, was certainly not the first person to have the name Jesus. Uh, Jewish families, moms and dads, had actually been naming their little boys Jesus for centuries. Not all of them, obviously, but many times. It was a popular name amongst Jews in the, in the couple of centuries before uh, Jesus was born. And the reason they did this was because what it means. See, Yeshua means, in Hebrew, it means uh, the Lord saves. 
Yeshua, the Lord saves. And, and the Jews, it was, it was mostly, I mean, there was a little bit of, a, of, a, of, a, of an upspot there with the Maccabees, if you know any of that history. But for the most part, that two or 300 years before Jesus was born, it was almost all oppression. It was all under somebody. Somebody was oppressing them, whether it was the Greeks or the Romans or whoever it was. And, then, and so as an, as an act of faith, faith Jewish families would name one of their sons Jesus as an act of faith. Yes, we're oppressed. Yes, we're under the latest dictator's thumb. But, but the Lord saves. The Lord will, say, will send us a Savior. That was, they had faith that, that God was going to do that. Well, what's the angel say? It's here. It's here. It's finally here, Joseph. That, that, that day that you, Joseph, as a pious Jewish man, have been waiting for, that day that your father and your grandfather and his father and grandfather before him, that day that you and your people have been waiting for, it's finally here. And it's right there in Mary's womb. The Savior is going to be born, the long-awaited Savior. You're going to name him Savior. You're going to name him the Lord saves because the Savior is being born. And Joseph, here's the best part. The angel wasn't done when he tells him what to name him. Here's the best part, Joseph. This Savior is going to bring the very best salvation of all. Because it's not just salvation from the Romans or whoever happens to be oppressing you now. The salvation he brings is salvation from your sins. That's the salvation he's going to bring you. One of the biggest mistakes that we make as human beings, one of the biggest mistakes we make is that we tend to misjudge what our biggest problem is. We, we do. We tend to misjudge our biggest problem. We all agree we have problems, right? I've, I've never met somebody who says, you know, yeah, humanity's got it all together, right? We got it all figured out, human beings, perfect, right? Nobody will say that. Everybody agrees human beings have problems. But here's where we get confused. We get confused about which problems are the biggest ones, which one is the biggest. Uh, and so we, we, get, we get confused. We, we think our biggest problem is the economy, Right, inflation, that's, that's our biggest problem. Or unemployment, or overemployment, or, or the threat of war. You know, Iran's going to do this, or China's going to do that. And, you know, that's the biggest problem. Or, or sometimes we, you know, we tune out the, the outside world, and our biggest problem is something personal. You know, where am I going to go to school? Or how am I going to pay the bills? Or what am I going to do about this health crisis I'm facing? You know, that, that's my biggest problem. And those are all problems. I am in no way trying to minimize those things. Everything I just named, every single one of them is a genuine problem. But they're not our biggest problem. They're not our biggest problem. Our biggest problem is sin. Why? Because that's the one that lasts forever. That's the one that impacts eternity. eternity. We can deal with a recession. Right? It's not fun, but we can handle it. We can, we can deal with it. But if we do not get our sin dealt with. If we don't deal with our sin, we are going to be lost forever. That's what's at stake with that one. And that's what Jesus was born for. Right? We talk about the purpose. His birth is purposeful. We talk about the purpose of Christmas. Jesus was born to solve our very biggest problem. He was born to save us from our sins. I want to close uh, with a, an excerpt from a devotional. I've been, I've been reading uh, this Advent season. Is it one of those Advent devotionals? And um, this is a good one. It's called The Weary World Rejoices. If you want to pick it up on a clearance bin somewhere, uh, it, save it for next year. Uh, it was a good one. I recommend it. The Weary, the Weary World Rejoices. And it was one of those um, compilations where each day was written by, by a different person. And, and one of the days, probably a couple of weeks ago now, was written by a, a pastor named Matt Smethurst. Matt Smethurst, he's from the East Coast someplace. 
And uh, he was reflecting on, actually, Luke chapter 2. He wasn't in Matthew 1. He was in Luke chapter 2. And he's reflecting on what the shepherd, what, what the angel said to the shepherds. All right, so Jesus is born in Bethlehem, and then uh, and, and, and an angel appears to these shepherds outside of the city to send them in, and, and the, the, uh, the angel says this to the shepherds. He says, uh, fear not. Right, so Luke 2.10, the angel said, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And, and then Smether says this. I got like three or four paragraphs here. He says, and what is this news? It's the next verse. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Notice two things in these verses, he says. First, the news is good and the joy is great because it's for all the people. It's for all the people. The king in the manger will not be stingy with his mercy. In fact, he is on a mission to rescue every kind of rebel. Most basically, this promise means Jews and Gentiles, and yet by extension, it encompasses the greatest to the least. Sovereigns and shepherds, billionaires and beggars, missionaries and murderers, the pious and the profane. If you know yourself to be morally and spiritually bankrupt, you are not incidental to this Savior's mission. You are central to it. He's not looking to draft better talent. He comes for obscure herdsmen on the outskirts of the empire, unseen by elites, and yet deeply loved by God. No matter who you are or where you are, these glad tidings are for you. And then second, he says, notice who is born to us, a Savior. Back to that theme, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This is not flattering. We were so lost and addicted to sin that nothing less than a cosmic rescue operation could set us free. And that's what it is. That's what God did. God became human. He became one of us. He became Emmanuel. He became Emmanuel so that he could rescue us from the bondage and the slavery of our sin. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, thank you so much for the truth of that. Thank you that you came, Jesus, not just to cheer us up or to give us a fun holiday to celebrate or any of the other things we might be tempted to think. Uh, you came to set us free, to set us free, to rescue us from our bondage, uh, to sin, uh, and, and through sin to all kinds of other bondages that cascade down from that. Bondage to, to uh, addiction, bondage to slay, to, um, <laughs> to depression, to, to struggles, to pain, all kinds of things. And you were born to set us free from these things, starting with our sin. And so we praise you for that. We receive it. We thank you for it. We pray that you would help us to value Jesus more. If, if we all leave this room loving you a little more, valuing you a little more than we did an hour ago, it is uh, completely worth the, the time we have spent together this morning, no doubt about it. And so we worship you, we thank you, we celebrate you, and we do it all in the great name of our Savior who has come to us himself. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.